0: What's going on guys, Ghoul here. Welcome to episode 2 of Rotcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Handmade by Robots. If you don't know who they are, they make adorable vinyl figures of a bunch of awesome characters. If you haven't checked them out yet, you can check them out at hmbr.fans. Once again, that's hmbr.fans, F-A-N-S. And be sure to use code Ghoul for 5% off your entire order. This episode is going to be a recap of Scream, Scream 5, Scream 2022... Whatever you like to call it, the newest movie in the Scream franchise that released this week. Fair warning, this is going to be a complete recap and review of the entire movie. Very spoiler heavy. If you haven't seen the movie yet, this is a really good time to completely stop listening to this. What are you doing with your life? Get up, go see this movie. It's a really great fan-focused movie, and if you have not seen it yet, once again, this is a very spoiler heavy episode. Please do not listen to this. It will ruin the movie for you if you haven't seen it yet. So with all of that out of the way, welcome to Rodcast. I can't even explain how excited I was for this movie. Uh, Like I explained in the previous episode growing up, I was Ghostface for Halloween a bunch of years in a row. Scream was one of the first horror movies that really brought me into, like, liking the genre and understanding, like, oh, this is a different type of movie where things aren't always jokes and laughing and fun. But one thing that Scream always did right was giving you that balance of those things, along with the violence and the gore that you would normally see in a horror movie. And sticking with that balance, this new Scream movie definitely did not disappoint. But with that being said, there are a lot of new things in this movie that really stand out. The biggest one, obviously, being the use of technology. The way that we see Ghostface interact with characters in the movie... The types of kills, the way the kills are executed, obviously we have an entire new cast, as well as a few of the legacy characters, but it does a really good job of bringing everything up to date with the current times, while still being able to balance that kind of callback to the early 90s version of Scream that we all originally saw. I do just want to throw this out there one more time, this episode is going in depth with the characters that die, with the kills, with the killers, so if you have not seen the movie, turn off this podcast and go watch the fucking movie. Alright, now let's really get into it. This movie, definitely made for the fans, made by fans. It has so many callbacks, so many easter eggs, and definitely a lot of love and respect for Wes Craven, even going as far as naming one of the characters after him, and based on the events around him, we see the party they end up at, which we'll get into later, but the banner that says, For Wes, everyone taking a shot for Wes, celebrating him, You know, it's great to say this movie wasn't just a cash grab for a dead franchise. It was really a movie made by fans for fans, and I really appreciated that. As of now, I have seen the movie a few times. I'm sure there are still some easter eggs or other things that I've missed, but I'm going to try to cover as many as I can. Now, if you happen to catch any that I don't discuss in this episode, I will be posting an announcement picture on my Instagram, at rotcastpodcast, so go ahead and leave a comment on the post for this episode if there was anything that I missed, but one thing I know that I definitely didn't miss was the intro to the movie. The opening scene, clearly a callback to the original, but we instantly see how this movie is going to be different than the previous four, with the use of smartphones, applications, texting, the works. We're introduced to one of our main characters, Tara. She's texting her friend, Amber, and then she receives a call from Ghostface. That's funny here because she does point out that it's weird she's getting a call on her landline phone. But then we do find out that she's actually not texting Amber. She's texting with Ghostface as well as talking to him on the phone. And when that realization happens, she tries going into her smart home app, locking the doors. And then we get our first Ghostface modern twist, where as she's locking the doors, somebody, presumably Ghostface, is also unlocking them back and forth with her. And then she gets that dreaded phone call on her landline where Ghostface asks if she thinks that he got inside while she was trying to lock her house back up. Sure enough, he did. And Q first attack. This intro kind of opens us up to how gory the movie's going to be, and also how brutal the kills are going to be. Even though Tara isn't killed, the way that Ghostface attacks her is very different than we're used to seeing. We do the typical clumsy Ghostface, running around, slashing, kind of fumbling everywhere. But then we get something that's pretty unique to this movie. The really fucking brutal leg stomp, where Ghostface breaks Tara's leg by stomping on it, and you, like, in the theater, you could really hear the crunch. Uh, I did see this movie a few times. I saw it in a normal theater. I also saw it in XD, which gives advanced audio. The noise was so bad that everyone that was sitting around me audibly gasped, because it was just something that you weren't expecting. But it definitely wasn't as bad. As when she was holding her hands up to defend herself, and Ghostface stabbed directly through her hand. What a brutal fucking scene. As we get past the intro, we find out that Tara's clearly not dead. And then we get that classic callback scene of all of the new cast members, the new teenagers, sitting outside of Woodsboro High, talking just like we saw in the first movie. So we get our first glimpse of the new characters, one of which is Wes. Like I said, clearly a call out to Wes Craven, the director of the previous movies, who is Officer Judy's son. Also another character from the earlier movies. This is also where we meet Amber, Mindy, Liv, and Chad. At this point, we do a kind of a throw-in character. I still don't really understand the reason for this character. Uh, That's Vince. Liv's ex-Fling, I guess, is how he'd be classified. Or how they tried to classify him in the movie. He pulls up, standing near his car, calls over to her. Liv is dating Chad. She kind of explains who he is. And then he just gets in his car and leaves. I feel like what they were trying to do at this point was give us a maybe ghost is him. But it just felt like a, a weird way to introduce him to the, the movie. There just wasn't really much of an introduction besides, oh, hey, why is he over there? Oh, that's my ex-fling I had one summer. Super random. Now we also get our introduction to Sam, Tara's sister, and Richie, Sam's boyfriend. When Wes calls Sam to let her know that Tara's been attacked, Sam tells Wes that she's going to be heading that way. Richie tells Sam he's going with her. Just a very run-of-the-mill introduction to all the characters, kind of let you know who they are. We do find out from what Wes says on the phone that Tara and Sam aren't really on speaking terms, but Sam instantly still says that she's on the way. At this point, we do get a scene of Sam and Richie driving to Woodsboro to make sure that Tara's okay. And at this point, Sam kind of explains to Richie what's going on. Richie's confused as to who would want to attack Tara, and Sam kind of explains the backstory of Ghostface, of the Stab movies. Richie claims he's never seen the Stab movies, and that he's never heard of anything as far as what happened in real life. And this scene kind of goes two ways. On one side, I kind of feel like it was used to introduce the story to people who haven't seen the earlier movies, so they can still enjoy this one. On the other hand, it does feel like they were kind of setting off the confusion whether Richie is either actually really clueless to what happened and kind of is just an add-on character who doesn't really know much about horror movies or someone who didn't want Sam to know what he knew, so he played dumb. Honestly, at this point, my initial thought was, oh, he's just along for the ride. He has no clue. I thought it was basically just a setup to kind of explain what was going on to those who might not have known from watching previous movies. So Sam gives him the rundown. And then we cut to the hospital scene where Sam and Richie walk in. They see Tara and all of her friends waiting there. And doubling down on that kind of estranged relationship, Tara acts surprised that Sam's there. So we do get the confirmation that even though they are family, they don't really talk much anymore. And that goes on for a minute until Amber says, You know, hey guys, we should all probably go, give them their space. Sam agrees to spend the night there. And we cut to a scene where all the teenagers are now at a bar. And Amber is giving her very opinionated backstory of Tara and Sam and why they no longer get along at this point the dynamic between Tara and Amber almost feels like Amber's really trying to protect her from people in general you know Amber seems really mad at Sam she feels very protective and borderline obsessed with Tara almost like she's more concerned about what Sam did and what happened to Tara than Tara's herself and by what Sam did we pretty much mean just you know She explains that Sam kind of abandoned the family, had a lot of issues, and she's just really angry for Tara. You know, she just seems like she's really protective over her and doesn't want her to feel upset, doesn't want her to be let down. And that relationship kind of feels like it's right on the border of best friend and also a little obsessive. But while that's happening, we get another visit from Vince, Liv's ex. He just shows up out of nowhere at the bar. You know, he asks if she wants to come have a real drink. Or if she wants to stay at the kids' table with her friends. And that's when we get Chad stepping in. You know, they almost get to a fight. And at this point, Vince pulls a knife on Chad. And in my head, I was kind of like, okay, so clearly he's violent. Clearly he would have some kind of motive to kill one of the friends in the group. He pulls out a knife. So I feel like they were kind of toying with that idea of maybe Vince is the killer. And with this being a new screen movie, you know, you always expect the the buck knife. The standard knife that's used in every Scream movie, the signature knife. But at this point, as they're arguing, Vince pulls out a Switchblade. So my mind immediately said, you know, there's no way this is Ghostface. Clearly, this is just some weird, angry ex-boyfriend who just keeps wanting to insert himself into stuff. And about 10 seconds later, we find out that that is completely true. Uh, We do cut to a scene where Vince is now outside of the bar. He's near the back. You know, it's kind of a weird scene where he's just kind of leaning up against the bar, pissing on it. (laughs) And just yelling, "Fuck this bar!" You know he doesn't like it clearly. Um, just a weird scene where I guess they're, you know, trying to show he's maybe drunk and aggressive. But but this is the point where we get our first Ghostface kill. Now you could kind of tell it was coming by the scenario. You know he's behind the bar. It looked like it's nighttime. It's dark. He's out back alone. And then somebody starts his car and turns the headlights on, so he can't see who's in the car. And he just assumes that it's Chad because of their altercation a few minutes ago. So then you're thinking, okay, it's definitely not Vince, but maybe it's Chad. So Vince starts walking to the car, and he's yelling. He assumes it's Chad as well. was like, hey, is that you? You know, get the fuck out of my car. Walks over to the car and then realizes it's running. Keys are in the ignition, but there's nobody in the car. So he leans in, turns off the car. He leans back up, turns around. He sees Ghostface and gets immediately just quickly stabbed right in the neck. You know, while this kill wasn't one of their most brutal kills, It kind of just made you feel like Ghostface had just complete disregard for life. Uh, Just the way it was like just a very quick one stab. Pulled the knife out really fast. And just kind of watched him bleed out on the ground. It almost kind of felt like a chore. Or like Ghostface was like you know just kind of disgusted like I don't want to go near this guy. You know and the kill was literally just one very fast jab to the neck. And that was it. But I did like the way this was written in because I feel like. Although Vince was kind of a random character who, like, really didn't add much to the movie, it did show you that they kind of know what you're looking for. Like, he did give off kind of like a Billy Loomis vibe, kind of like that early 90s bad boy kind of vibe. And you know they expect you to think that he might be Ghostface immediately, but they take that thought and instantly kill him to show you, you have no idea where we're going with this. You know, you're just along for the ride. Well, this kill wasn't anything crazy, One thing that we did get that was totally awesome was the very classic wiping the blood off the blade that just instantly gives you that very nostalgic, you know, we're back, this is Scream, this is Ghostface, this is everything we missed. At this point, we do get a cutback scene to the hospital with Sam and Richie, and, of course, Richie's watching Stab on Netflix, which is uh, kind of like another callback to the time, you know, just we do so much streaming right now, it was pretty cool of them to like throw it in like, oh yeah, I'm just watching Stab, it's on Netflix, so... So uh, Sam goes into the bathroom, and then, um, definitely not something I was expecting. She's looking in the mirror, and then she sees Billy Loomis. Uh, You know, a lot of people were predicting that we were going to see Matthew Lillard in this movie. In my predictions, I was kind of thinking, like, hopefully we would see him for, like, a cameo, and he's still alive. But I was pretty much thinking we were going to see Matthew Lillard or nobody. And I feel like they kind of knew that we were all expecting Matthew Lillard. Uh, As soon as, like, the movie was announced, a lot of people were saying, I wonder if we'll see him back. You know, they never actually said he was dead. You know, a TV fell on his head and he was stabbed and, you know, whatever. But we never got the closure that he was dead. So a lot of fans were kind of saying, oh, maybe we'll see a cameo or like somebody in the movie will be related to him. But one thing we weren't expecting was to see Sam hallucinating seeing Billy Loomis. (laughs) Definitely wasn't on my Scream 2022 bingo card. But we do see her in the bathroom, looking in the mirror, seeing Billy Loomis. And he's asking her if she's going to tell... Tara why all this is happening you know the fact that she is seeing hallucinations is kind of a callback to when Sydney was seeing hallucinations of her mom now while Sam's hallucinations are pretty similar to Sydney and her mom they're a little bit different but we'll get to that in a minute so at this point Sam gets a phone call of course from Ghostface now this does result in her getting attacked in the break room of the hospital she does manage to fight off Ghostface she runs out she finds security guard she tells him I was just being attacked he was trying to kill me Weird little side note, for some reason, the way the security guard went to run towards the break room was just very awkward. It looked like, I don't know, it, it was just very confusing. He was like sidestepping, walking sideways. I don't know how you'd explain it, but it just looked very weird. It almost looked like it was a cut that they like weren't supposed to use or he tripped over something. But I don't know, I, I, I saw it a few times and it bothered me every time. But uh, he runs into the break room, there's nobody there, then everybody kind of reconvenes back in the room with Tara. Now, we do get a back and forth between Richie and Amber accusing each other of being Ghostface, which is kind of funny, looking back, obviously, because at this point, that really, in my head, completely separated them as characters. Now, Richie does feel kind of like the comic relief for the movie. Uh, He feels like just the kind of -of out-of-place boyfriend who doesn't really take things seriously. You know, Amber asked him what he was doing, and of course, he was sitting in another room watching Stab on Netflix, which is not a good alibi at all. But the fact that they do have this back and forth, they're accusing each other, as we'll later find out, was really well done, because Amber does have an alibi. She was at the sheriff's office with Officer Judy, and the fact that Richie doesn't actually have an alibi besides he was watching Netflix in another room, very slightly makes you think, oh, maybe it could be him because he actually doesn't have an alibi, but it also completely took it off of Amber because she was with the police. Speaking of the police, Officer Judy and Sam do leave the room to talk in the hallway, Officer Judy is not happy that Sam's back in town. But knowing what we know, this means that they went to the hallway to talk and left Tara in her room alone with who we later find out is both of the killers. Now, it's things like that where they're both alone with her, but nothing happens. So it kind of helps solidify in the moment watching it for the first time that it's definitely not either of these characters or absolutely, definitely not both of them. But it was just a cool thing to realize later, like, oh, so at one point, Tara's in the hospital alone with both of the killers and at the time we don't know it it is around this time that Sam explains to Tara basically she's the reason their parents split up you know she was in the attic one day she found a diary from when her mom was younger she thought it'd be cool to look into it and kind of see how her parents met and what was going on around that time in their lives but she finds out that her mom was unfaithful and just to top things off make it even worse she finds out that her dad was Billy Loomis So she's basically explaining all this to Tara and letting her know, like, hey, you know, I'm sorry for what happened, but this is the reason why. And she was trying to, you know, protect her from what was happening, but also kind of dealing with things herself. And Tara wants none of it. She instantly tells her to get the fuck out multiple times. She wants nothing to do with her. She's very angry that she left her alone for five years and all of a sudden wants to show up and kind of dump all like her information on her. So her solution to that is just telling her to get the fuck out. So doing what she's told, Sam leaves the room, walks out to the hallway, and finds that Richie's right outside the door, heard the whole conversation. So Sam looks him in the face and says, this is the part in horror movies where you get the fuck out, and tells him to get the fuck out. Now Richie says he's going to stay, he doesn't care, doesn't bother him. It was a little weird, but you know, he's there for And with that being said, it's time for them to go find an expert on the situation, to figure out what they can do, and that means a trip to Dewey's house. Now at this point in life, Dewey's a little bit down on his luck. So when they pull up to his house, his house is actually a trailer. They knock on the door, and a little easter egg here. Now, if you listen to the exchange when they knock on Dewey's door, it might sound familiar. I haven't gone back to check, but I'm pretty sure it's almost the exact lines from Halloween 2018, when the reporters are knocking on Laurie Strode's door, and she's telling him to go away, and she doesn't do interviews. And here we get the same thing from Dewey. Basically just, go away, I don't want to talk to you. I almost want to say, like, there are three or four lines that are an exact copy of Halloween 2018, and if you're familiar with the original Scream movie or Wes Craven, you know that he did throw in a bunch of Halloween references, and this movie does the same thing. It's a nice little nod to Wes kind of letting him know, letting us know that they actually do care about the movie, they do care about... How it's written, how it's directed, they want to include the easter eggs that fans will love. Because once again, it is a movie for the fans. Once they do get inside to talk to Dewey, we can kind of see that he's kind of falling apart. He's old looking, he's dirty looking, he's watching Gale Weathers on TV. But nevertheless, he does give them a couple minutes to ask a few questions. But as soon as they try to, he has questions of his own. And he tells Sam to not trust Richie, never trust love interest. And as we would later find out, he was 100% correct. Now they do ask Dewey for his help, but he does at least help by giving them advice and asking the questions that he knows will make the difference. You know, he kind of explains the friend group, and that if Tara has a friend group, that it's most likely one of them, and that they'll have a motive. And during this conversation, we do get the question from Richie, you know, why would Ghostface kill that random Vince guy? And honestly, I still want to know. He still feels like a throwaway character. Uh, In a few minutes, they do, you know, explain who he was or his relevance to the movie, but I still don't get it. I don't understand why he was there. I feel like the reason for killing him was dumb. I feel like the fact they had him included at all was kind of dumb. But that's besides the point. You know, maybe they were trying to do it to make Liv look guilty because she did have a connection to him at one point. You know, like I said, maybe they were trying to make Chad look guilty. Who knows? But they do finish up their conversation. Richie and Sam leave. And of course, Dewey has to call Sydney and let her know that it's happening again. Ghostface is back. He does try to convince her that no matter what happens, do not come back to Woodsboro. He asks her if she has a gun. And of course, we get that very memorable line. I'm Sydney fucking Prescott. Of course I have a gun. You know, it is exciting at this point because we're finding out that the legacy characters are now joining the movie. You know, we have Dewey calling Sydney and then we have Dewey texting Gail. Now he just lets her know that Ghostface is back. (laughs) And then we do get the little funny moment where he sends her a smiley face emoji. I think he was asking or like saying, I hope you're doing well. A little smiley face. Um, So it's cool because like you get that kind of, legacy character build up, you know, you see Sydney, you're like all excited, no, Sydney's back. She's badass. She has a gun. And then you get Goofball Dewey sending Gail a text with a smiley face. Realizing it was stupid. And then I believe he was going to send a text that says like, I still love you or I still miss you, something along those lines. But then he deletes it. We see him walk over, move a picture of him and Gail out of the way, grab a box, and in the box is his badge, his gun. Dewey's back in the fight. Time to kick some ass. Then we get a roundup scene of everybody meeting up at the twins' house, the twins being Mindy and Chad. We see Richie and Sam pull up, and then Dewey shows up behind them and says, you know, basically, hey, I'm here to help. Let's see what we can do. At uh, this point, we do find out that the twins are the niece and nephew of Randy. We also see Martha, a.k.a. Randy's sister. So everyone's sitting down in the living room, basically kind of going over what's happening. Uh, we do find out that Vince is... Uh, Stu Mocker's nephew I believe uh, like Vince's mom is Stu Mocker's sister so yeah Stu's nephew I guess Um, Amber shares information and says you know that's who he is so that's probably why he was killed which again I don't really understand the reasoning for it just feels like a kind of throwaway to just add a kill but the fact that Amber shares it is pretty much her giving the reason why she killed him but as they're all sitting down in the living room they're basically going over who they think the killer is Everyone kind of lands on the fact that it's most likely Sam. So she gets really pissed off, runs out, leaves Richie there, and drives off. You know, I I do kind of get where they were coming from with blaming Sam, saying she's maybe the killer. Obviously, because we saw that she was attacked, she's not. But even though she's not the killer, she is still having visions of a previous killer, aka her father. So as she storms off and drives away, she sees a vision of her dad in the back seat, basically telling her, you know, get the fuck out there and start killing people you know, basically, like, whoever's doing this, kill them. So it does kind of push you to think, okay, maybe she's going to kill people or going to be a ghost face. We don't really know at this point how many there are, if there's more than one, if there's going to be two competing with each other. You know, it's all kind of up in the air, and then as he's telling her to kill people or kill whoever this ghost face person is, it kind of makes you think, okay, so is she going to become her own version of Ghostface and... Who knows? You know, this is a very new movie. It's It's been a while since they released one. So it kind of feels like anything goes. And I feel like they play into that a lot where they lean into scenarios that you would think are kind of improbable. But at the same time, you kind of have to remember, okay, this is something new. Who knows what's going to happen? So after this scene, we basically get a cut to Sheriff Judy's house. She's kind of walking around, doing her thing, ordering sushi. And then she hears a noise in the house. She's in the kitchen, so she walks over to the knife block, grabs a knife. Little easter egg here. I'm pretty positive that's the same knife from the Halloween movies, the same model of knife. But she grabs the knife, basically walking around trying to see if someone's in the house. You know, obviously there's a killer on the loose, so you never know. So she walks out to what looks like a little indoor patio, sees a door open, walks to the door, and then is scared by Wes, who walks up behind her. Apparently he got home from school, had his headphones in, didn't think to say, hey, you know, I'm home, I'm not a murderer. <laughs> Yeah, so she turns around, basically, you know, gets scared, just pointing a knife at him, hands him a knife, he goes to put it back, and then she says, hey, I'm going to pick up sushi, you know, why don't you go get in the shower, I'll get the food and be right back. So she leaves, and then Wes is home alone. Now you can kind of almost tell where things are going here, because they are leaving either one of the teenagers alone in the house, so you kind of feel like, okay, I kind of know what's going on here, and then that feeling is confirmed. So Judy leaves, she's driving, and then gets a phone call, of course the call is from Ghostface, Basically saying, hey, I want to um, admit to these people I killed, See these two murders. And she says, well, you've only killed one person. And Ghostface lets her know, yeah, but by the time you reach me, I'll have killed your son as well. So she flips on her lights, sirens, turns around and starts racing back home. She's trying to call her son, but at this point he's already gone in the shower. Now, one little nod to other horror movies. Ghostface does mention, or ask, I should say, if she's familiar with the Psycho movies. Because Wes is in the shower. And that makes you think, okay, well, Ghostface is gonna jump out, kill us in the shower. So she's panicking, she's calling him, he's not answering, and she's rushing home. She pulls up in front of her house, gets out of her car, she's rushing to the door. And what none of us were expecting in the theater, because it was a very audible mix of screaming and gasping. Right as she reaches the door, Ghostface comes out from behind a bush and stabs her directly in her stomach. Now this is a pretty new type of kill. You know, it's broad daylight in front of the sheriff's house, and it's a really brutal kill. He stabs her, and she falls down, and then Ghostface just repeatedly stabs her as she's trying to fight back. Like I said, this is a pretty unique kill. It's the middle of the day, and it's like right on the front walkway of her house. But you also have to keep in mind, too, something I actually skipped a minute ago. As she's heading home, she calls for all units to head to her house. So you have to think that the entire police force is rushing to her house while she's getting brutally murdered on her front lawn. And you don't hear a neighbor scream. You don't hear sirens. You don't hear anything besides her getting killed. So then we cut to inside. We see Wes gets out of the shower, heads downstairs. You know, he's opening cabinets, getting plates, opens the fridge, grabbing a bunch of stuff basically because they're about to have dinner in his head. Little Easter egg here, he opens the fridge and then he closes it. We see a note that says... There are lemon squares in the fridge. You know, if you remember from the earlier movies, Officer Judy at that point made some lemon squares for Dewey. So that was like a nice little nod to the earlier movies. But we do go through this kind of sequence of expected jump scares. You know, Wes opens a cabinet, closes it, and you expect Ghostface to be there. Another cabinet, another cabinet, the refrigerator. It got to the point where after the first few, you know, the kind of audience that was around me when I was watching it, everyone starts laughing. She's like, oh, okay, like, you know, they're kind of toying with us. Which makes it fun, because it's like, you know that it's not just a generic, like, oh, I'm going to open the cabinet, close it, and there's Ghostface. So they kind of tour with us, everyone's kind of laughing, and then Wes hears a noise and starts kind of, like, looking around, like, oh, okay, you know, he's calling out, he's like, mom, are you there, mom? And there's no response, so he goes to walk out, you see him walking towards the front door, and you know what just happened on the front lawn, so, you know, everyone's kind of thinking, oh, he's he's about to see his mom, like, brutally murdered on the front lawn, so he walks up to the door, grabs the handle, and slowly closes the door. So at this point, after, like, the four or five <laughs> cabinets and refrigerator opening and closing, you know, you keep getting kind of teased with these jump scares. You're expecting one. He walks to the front door. You're expecting him to see his mom. He closes it. And you're thinking, okay, so at this point, Ghostface probably left, or, like, he's going to hear sirens, or something's going to happen where, you know, he's not going to be exposed to what happened. But then as soon as he closes the door and turns around, Ghostface is right behind him. He panics for half a second. And then Ghostface almost like overpowers him and holds him still. And just slowly drives the knife through Wes's neck. Now this is one of probably the most brutal and like personal feeling kills. Um, You know, I mean, if you have a character who's named after Wes Craven, you you have to give him a good kill, right? But this just felt, I don't know, so like, real and like personal i'm just like the way that you know the knife like slowly went into his neck and you see ghostface there like inches from his face like looking him in the eyes you know it's honestly hard to describe it was just like a very intimate like very personal kill where ghostface was so close that as Wes was coughing up blood from being stabbed in the neck the blood was splattering onto the mask because ghostface was so close to his face and it, it was a very simple scene But I think just the contrast of, like, the white mask with, like, the red blood, the very small droplets just spattered onto it, like, I don't know, just a really powerful scene and a very, like, personal kill. And kind of gave you that vibe of, like, this new Ghostface is just fucking brutal. Like, everything's just, like, messy and brutal and personal. Like, they're really enjoying the kills and have no regard for, like, human life at all but you do get that contrast where you almost feel like the character's kills are valued differently because of, like I said earlier with Vince, it was just one very fast jab to the neck. You know, with Officer Judy, or Sheriff Judy, it was just like a really messy multiple stabs, like in public, just a very brutal kill. And then with Wes, it was just like a very personal, like, uh, almost like, you know, I know this person. We're very close. And, you know, going back to the... The kind of rumors and speculation before the movie released. A lot of people thought that maybe Wes was related to Stu. Or maybe like a, a younger brother or a nephew or something where he was related to Stu. And that was his connection to the movie. You know, this is before he found out that he was the the son of Sheriff Judy. And a big part of me for some reason, just as soon as I saw him, he had that... Especially like his hair, like the, the frosted tips and everything. Just had that very like early 90s vibe. And while I already thought he might have been Ghostface... Just the way he looked really kind of solidified that for me, so to see him die in such a brutal way was like a, oh wow, like we really have no idea what's going on. Um, And that was like a theory that I saw a lot of people post too, thinking like, it's somebody related to Stu, and it's probably him, because he kind of gives off the same vibe as Stu. Not as a character, but just the way he looks, like the very early 90s look like I said. But either way, it just seemed like there was way too much that happened around that time, for no cops to show up, no sirens, no one to notice the bloody mess in their front yard with a dead body <laughs> you know just a lot of stuff that was going on and kind of weird that no one noticed and you didn't hear any like screams or anything in the background but either way i feel like wes is either my favorite kill of the movie or definitely tied for my favorite but we do eventually get you know paramedics on scene corner police all that it does show sam running up to the scene of the murders where she says you know i know her son and the cop basically says like you know i'm sorry indicating to her that he's dead Then we do get a scene of Gail showing up and kind of asking Sam if she's okay. And then during the conversation, Gail looks over and sees Dewey. She runs over and then we get kind of like a funny moment of her hitting him being like, you know, you tell me he's back through a text. You tell me Ghostface is back through a fucking text kind of thing. Um, So they basically talk for a little bit and then we kind of find out, you know, Dewey's the one who broke things off. Um, She said she had her chance at things and he only tried for two months and... Kind of what I gather from that is that she had her chance to move to, I believe it was New York, um, to kind of, you know, be on the news, be a news anchor, you know, kind of be famous. And, uh, it sounds like Dewey basically went with her and then kind of couldn't adapt to that life. He really wanted to be back in Woodsboro. So I believe he said he was a coward and kind of left in the middle of the night. Um, so it sounds like, you know, he kind of just said, fuck it. I want to be back in Woodsboro and just left. Now, Gail kind of asked like, you know, where's your uniform? And then he says he's retired. And, you know, kind of hints that they asked him to retire. From what we'd kind of gathered from earlier in the movie, and by what other characters have said about him, like, always being in a bottle, and then we see him drinking when he's at his house, it sounds like he kind of left Gale, went home, became an alcoholic, and then the force kind of said, you know, it's your time to retire. You can't really do this anymore, kind of thing. In the same scene, we actually see Sam look over and sees the officer that was with Tara at the hospital, and kind of freaks out and says, you know... Who's at the hospital? Like, if you're here, who's watching my sister? And then, you know, the officer's kind of like, uh, you know, doesn't really know what to say. So then she freaks out and instantly calls Richie and says, hey, go check my sister. There's nobody there. Who's watching her kind of thing. And during this scene is my favorite cameo of the entire movie. It's another little Easter egg of ruin for the horror fans. And that is Richie is on his phone and he's watching a review of Stab 8. And that review is coming from... Nobody else but Dead Meat. James and Chelsea, I believe in the movie they were, um, called, like, Film Fails, but it was such a cool little throw-in easter egg that kind of lets you know, you know, the people that are working on this film are definitely horror fans because it is a horror podcast. know, if you are familiar with them, you know, they recently did an episode in Stu's house, they did a tour of the house, and I thought that was, like, the coolest thing because, you know, being being a horror movie fan... It's cool to see other fans enjoying things and getting to experience things because of, like, the hard work they put in. So I thought that was cool enough they got to do that, but the fact that I got to see them in the movie, you know, doing what they do in real life, but in the movie was super cool. And we also see a glimpse of that mask that we saw in, like, the kind of teased or leaked pictures where everyone kept seeing the metallic or chrome Ghostface mask. Turns out it was actually a mask in STAB 8, which I think some people kind of assumed it was probably a scene from Sab. some people thought it might have been the new mask. There was a rumor that I saw that, um, I believe there was an interview with Roger L. Jackson kind of saying, hey, you know, things are a little bit different in this movie, the mask is different. I don't remember specifically offhand if that's exactly like word for word what he said, but right before the movie came out, there was so much speculation, there were so many rumors, it was honestly kind of hard to keep track, but we now know that that chrome or metallic mask was actually just a scene from Stab 8 and wasn't part of the actual legitimate movie. Now, with that being said, before I move on, I do want to give a shout out to James and Chelsea from Dead Meat. Uh, If you guys are not familiar with their podcast, they review horror movies. They have a YouTube channel as well. So seeing them in the movie was really awesome. If you haven't checked them out already, I would go check them out just so when you do see them in the movie again, you can understand kind of why they were there and know that it's a pretty cool Easter egg that was thrown in for the horror movie fans. Now, with this call, Sam is rushing to the hospital with Dewey in her car, driving like a maniac. Dewey's in the passenger seat pretty much shitting his pants. And then we cut to a scene from the hospital back in Tara's room. So the lights are cut off. Tara's looking around, kind of rolls out of her bed into her wheelchair. She rolls out to the hallway to kind of see what's going on and finds a security guard dead on the floor, which we can obviously assume was Ghostface. So at this point, you know, Tara knows what's going on. She kind of rolls into a room. She hides in a corner. And at this point, Richie appears in the doorway of the room she's in, scares her, and he's like, hey, you know, your sister called me. She told me you were in trouble, so I was coming to make sure you're okay. And at this point, Richie gets attacked by Ghostface. Uh, He gets his arm sliced, and all bets are off. There's no way that Richie's Ghostface, you know, in, in my head, I was like, oh, he's definitely just like here for laughs. There's no way, you know, but after the little attack on Richie, he's passed out on the ground, and then Ghostface actually grabs Richie's phone and answers a call from Sam and then Ghostface gives Sam the ultimatum who do you want to die your boyfriend or your sister so Sam's like why are you doing this stop blah blah you know whatever and Ghostface is like why is it so hard for you to pick I'll only kill one who do you want to die and while Ghostface is doing this following Tara and talking to Sam it kind of makes you wonder like well Richie only got like slashed on his arm and he should be fine but Ghostface is still going after a living person and that kind of stood out to me as like, a well, clearly Richie's not dead and didn't get attacked. Why give Sam the ultimatum of like, I'm going to kill one of them. Who do you want to kill? Richie would have been an easy kill. So that made me kind of wonder, like, is Ghostface not killing Richie because, I mean, we know it's Amber at this point, but so it's like she doesn't want to kill Richie or is it that she wants to kill Tara? We obviously know later that Richie is also Ghostface, but at the time, I'm just thinking Ghostface wants to kill somebody, so why kill Tara and follow her and not kill Richie? Because Richie would just be an easy, like, one or two stabs, and he's like, he's already down. So things kind of got weird here when I saw it for the first time, because I was kind of confused as to, like, the reasoning for things, but... Needless to say, we know how things go from here. Ghostface is on the phone, asking Sam what the problem is, why she can't pick one. And Sam says, well, maybe I'm just stalling for time. At that point, the elevator opens. Dewey fires a Ghostface right as Ghostface is about to kill Tara. We see Ghostface kind of run off to the side. Dewey and Sam are trying to get everyone in the elevator so they can leave and kind of escape what's happening. So at that point, Ghostface is attacking Dewey. Dewey shoots Ghostface, who fall like multiple times. And then we see Ghostface kind of fall back into like this big glass and wood display cabinet. At that point, Dewey grabs Richie and they start running to the elevator. But at this point, Richie looks back and doesn't look back scared, almost looks back like worried. Like he looks back directly at Ghostface, worried like, oh shit. And this is the point I realized, oh shit, Richie is Ghostface. Like he's one of them. And I audibly said out loud the first time I was watching, I was like, oh, it's him. And the people that were sitting next to me even said, oh yeah, that was definitely like a oh, no, did they just kill my friend kind of look at it? Like, I don't know. It's just the way he looked back, which is really good acting, by the way, because it's, it's a very distinct line between, like, being scared you're going to get killed or being worried. And his face just looked, like, worried, like, oh, no, did that really just happen? But we only get, like, two or three seconds to kind of process that. Because as soon as you get to the elevator, Dewey pushes Richie in and says, I have to go back. And the doors are closing. and he says, you know, like, you have to shoot him in the head or they always come back. Which is a, you know... Another Easter egg, classic line back to the other screen movies. So, Dewey's walking towards Ghostface. He goes to shoot Ghostface and gets a call. And as soon as he gets the call, Ghostface stabs Dewey. And this is going to be my tie for, like, my favorite kill of this movie. Granted, you know, I do love Dewey as a character. And I was sad to see him go. But at the same time, something about this kill is just so fucking cool. (laughs) So, Dewey gets stabbed in the front. And you're like, okay, he's going to get stabbed and survive. But then you see Ghostface come around his back with another knife and stabs him in the back as well and says, it's an honor. And then like lifts up the knives to like really kill him. And then you see like Ghostface pull the knives out, Dewey drops, and then Ghostface is just standing there in the hallway, like with, you know, two knives. <laughs> and like, what a fucking awesome scene. Like, I don't know, for me, like it, it was, it's sad to see Dewey go, but at the same time, like, I don't know, I just thought it was just a really well done, like it was shot very well. And just, like, Ghostface with the two knives standing there just, like, looked so fucking sick. And knowing what we know, you know, now after watching the movie, like, the the line where Amber Ghostface says, it's an honor, just makes it that much cooler, you know? I mean, the part that does make this a little bit more sad is, like, you know, as Dewey's kind of skewered between the two knives, he looks down and sees that Gail is actually the one that was calling him, and, you know, then he gets killed. I've heard a lot of kind of, like, mixed reviews of, like, how people feel about them killing off dewey or like they needed to or if they didn't need to or if like maybe it was just something with david arquette not wanting to be in the movies anymore i feel like we're, we're at the point now where you know they brought back the legacy characters it was cool to see them in the new movie but at the same time the characters i mean not the characters the actors themselves are getting older and you know if there is any hope of like any more screen movies coming out how many can they make before they need to just get rid of the older characters and there's only so many ways you can bring back sydney or bring back gail or bring back dewey before it's you know time to just call it quits like okay we neither need a whole new group of people or something in dynamic acid change where we can't just keep bringing back these same people every single movie and they just survive all the time because then the the storyline will kind of get stale after a while But I think the fact that they kind of took Dewey out of his job where he's like no longer a police officer, you know, they, they killed him off completely. I think it was almost a way of being like, you know, we're taking this serious where it's like, it's not just all fun and games. Like, you know, you're going to lose people that really matter. And I think that kind of helps like solidify and like really legitimize this movie and kind of the direction they were going. Because to kill off one of the main characters, especially like one of the main three that have been in the franchise the entire time, like that takes a lot of balls. And the fact that not only did they kill Dewey, but they also killed who was actually his replacement, Judy. It really shows you, like, they're just really not fucking around, like... It almost makes Ghostface in this movie, like, a little bit more menacing and a little bit more real, like... Like, they're really there to make their mark. And it makes Ghostface a lot more terrifying, honestly. Like, being able to kill people that the earlier Ghostface characters couldn't makes them just a little bit more terrifying. Then we do get a little bit of, like, a fast-forward. We see Gail in the hospital... And then we kind of see that same scene that we saw in the trailer where, you know, she sees Dewey's body in a body bag and just completely breaks down. I mean, it was kind of spoiled a little bit because like when you see that, you know that there's only one person that's going to give Gail that reaction. And the fact they let it go out in some of the earlier trailers, like, was a little disappointing, honestly, because you know what's going to happen. Like, you know, that's what that is. And it doesn't make it any less sad that it happened, but I just wish that they didn't include that scene in any of the trailers, because it was too obvious what it was. At this point, we do get a scene where, um... You know, Sam kind of walks out, like, to talk to Gail at the, the hospital. Um, you know, kind of says, like, you know, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I feel awful about, like, Dewey, and, you know, he he saved my sister. And then we finally get the last Legacy character to show up, and that would be none other than Sydney fucking Prescott and her gun. So, cue the Scream 1 nostalgia. Sydney's back in the picture. We do get a nice moment here where... Gail and Sydney hug. You know, in the earlier movies, you've always kind of wondered about the relationship between Sydney and Gail. They weren't always on the best terms. Sometimes they were fighting. Sometimes they got along. In this movie, you really get a sense of them coming together finally. Then we cut to a scene in Tara's hospital room with her and Sam, where Sam's basically apologizing, basically saying, you know, I'm sorry about dad. And Tara says, don't be sorry about dad. Just be sorry because, you know, you left me too. So it wasn't just, you know, Sam running away. It was also Sam abandoning Tara leaving her with the family alone to deal with the mess that she made. Sam does kind of explain that she was worried that she was going to end up like her dad. Tara says, you know, you could never be like him. But, you know, kind of what are we doing now? And then Sam says, we're going to get the fuck out of Woodsboro. So Sam's kind of ready to go, preparing to leave. She does run into Sydney in the lobby and is basically just, you know, I really want to get out of Woodsboro. We shouldn't be here. You know, we're going to do what everyone else doesn't do. We're just going to leave. And uh, Basically, Sydney says, you know, I want you to help us kill him. This needs to end, like, I have kids, I have a family, I don't want to keep dealing with this. We need to kill Ghostface. Sam basically just says, fuck no. (laughs) She's not doing that, she's not helping them. And she leaves, and then immediately after she leaves, Gail's kind of worried, and Sidney says, don't worry. I put a tracker on her car. Seems like something Gail Weathers would do. So again, kind of going back to modern times, things are a little bit different now, where, you know, we have Bluetooth trackers, we have AirTags, we have tiles. It's easy to track somebody. So it is cool to kind of see the dynamic of, you know, little advancements in technology kind of make a big difference in movies now. Now, to this point, we do cut to a scene with um Richie, Sam, and Tara in Richie's car. You know, they're leaving, heading back, and Tara's kind of freaking on the backseat. She can't find her inhaler. Um, but she says she does keep a spare at Amber's house. So reluctantly, Richie agrees that they will all go to Amber's house to get, you know, Tara's second inhaler. Even though he is kind of putting up a fight saying, you know, like I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to be here. We should just leave. But knowing what we know, this was the perfect setup for the end of the movie. So we kind of cut to a scene where it's showing Amber's house. There's a party going on. It's a big memorial party for their friend Wes. You know, so we see a a banner that says for Wes, which as we know is also a nod to Wes Craven. We see the same for Wes at the end of the movie as well after the final scene of the movie. You know, everyone's drinking, taking shots. They do a toast for Wes as well. Which is really cool to see, because you know, you know, it is supposed to be based around the character in the movie, obviously. But as a fan of, you know, the Scream movies, you do know that it's a very blatant nod to Wes Craven. Kind of like one last toast for him. So at this point, we do have a kind of a weird scene. Um, Amber goes down into her basement to get beer. You know, she closes the fridge, has a little back and forth with Mindy. They're kind of accusing each other of being the killer. Mindy's like, you know, I could be the killer. And then Amber's like, well, how do you know that I'm not the killer? And for a half second, we hear the music mindy gets very serious and says because i am and that lasts for maybe half a second and then she says i'm just kidding but what if i was which kind of felt like one of those little joking tie-in scenes like we had with wes earlier where you keep getting like the the anticipation of like oh oh shit it's really happening but then it doesn't and one thing i did notice in this scene is hanging on the wall there's a pretty big black cloak or like some big dark blanket uh, with a little bit of white fabric on the top. It almost looks like a ghost face costume or ghost faces behind them. It's kind of blurry in the background. I'm not sure if that was just set design or if that was intentional to kind of make you think, oh, there's a ghost face costume here in the basement. Um but it did kind of look like it was just a blanket or some kind of jacket or something like that. They cut back to a scene upstairs where um Liv and Chad are kind of making out on the couch. Liv saying she wants to go upstairs, and Chad is like, hey, you know. I don't think we should, we should stay down here. No offense, but I don't know if you're the killer. <laughs> and he says this very genuinely, so in my mind, I was like, okay, it's definitely not Chad. You know, he actually does seem concerned. He does seem worried, like he really can't trust anybody. Liv gets super pissed, storms off. You know, of course, Chad's going to follow her outside. He kind of feels dumb, but at the same time, kind of want to make sure that she's okay. Uh, so he's outside, he's looking for her, and then he gets invite on his phone, which again, technology... And the invite he gets is kind of like a find my friends app invite. Um, basically, like, you know, Liv sharing her location with him so he can find her. So he opens it, you know, follows her. He can see where she is. He's looking around for her. Doesn't really see her. And then, of course, he's outside. He's alone. Being sexually active at a party. You know, At this point, we all know where this is going. Go's face jumps out, slashes at his arm, stabs him in the leg. He runs around, he's hiding behind a shed. His phone keeps going off with the alarm that, you know, Ghostface is getting closer, and the alert from the app is kind of beeping louder and louder as he's getting closer. He's trying to shut it off, but his phone's covered in his blood. It's all over his hands, so he just throws his phone. He's kind of looking around, and he's like, you know what? I gotta get out of here. I gotta run away. Turns the corner, starts running back towards the house. We got a pretty cool scene here where Ghostface kind of pushes through this, like, little shed. Out of like two doors that swing open and Ghostface runs out, chases him down, you know, jumps on him, starts stabbing him, stabs him in the back multiple times, stabs him in the chest. And as far as we know, he's dead. We later find out that he's not. But at this point, you would assume based off the attack, he's definitely dead. So at this point, Richie, Tara, Sam, they pull up, you know, have their headlights on. It's nighttime. Ghostface stops stabbing Chad because the headlights are shining directly on them, which kind of confused me because it's like, If it's dark out, it's nighttime, you're turning, you can clearly see, you know, somebody in a bright white mask stabbing somebody in the middle of a yard. Um, But it goes unnoticed, you know, knowing that Richie is one of the two characters that ends up being Ghostface. I wonder if he saw it, but maybe Sam wasn't paying attention, maybe Tara's in the back seat, you know, on her phone, they're not really paying attention to what's going on. But it was a very direct beam of light towards Ghostface and Chad, who we know at this point would have been Amber. So it is kind of weird that nobody noticed it, but we'll just ignore that for now. So as they pull up to the house with a party going on, Sam is like, hey, I'm going to grab it. I'll be right back. Tara says, well, hey, I want to go with you. And then Richie says, well, I'm not going to be left alone in the car to get murdered. So I'll go inside as well. Go up to the door, open the door. Everyone's super excited that Tara is there. Amber kind of comes out and is like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Why aren't you at the hospital? Um, You know, like, where are you going? What are you doing? And then Tara's like, well, I just need my inhaler. Do you have my second inhaler here? Just, oh, yeah, you know, let me get it for you. Um, You know, no matter what it is that you're doing, I just want to make sure you're safe. Uh, So at this point, Amber's basically like, you know, hey, everyone needs to go home. Party's over. Everyone has to leave. And everyone's kind of like, oh, what? Like, you know, that's stupid. And then Richie's like, hey, listen, everyone needs to go. Sam's here. Tara's here. Clearly, they've been giant murder targets recently. So this place is just a giant target for death. If you don't want to die, get the fuck out. So the party starts clearing out. Richie walks towards the kitchen. He sees Mindy sitting on the couch in the living room. He says, you know, hey, is there any beer? No, there's nothing in the fridge. He says, yeah, there's some in the basement. So he's like, okay, well, do you want to come with me to the basement to get some so I'm not going alone? And then Mindy's like, no, I'm not going down there with, with you. What do you mean? So he says, all right, well, I'll be right back. And we have a little moment <laughs> where they kind of look at each other like, ah, hi, huh, that's funny. You know, the line. And then he walks down the stairs and she turns back and says, well, he's dead. And that was just a fun little line. It was like a... A little scene, you know, kind of bring some comedy back into, like, how serious things have been. And, obviously, you know, the line will be right back. A huge callback to not only Scream, but most horror movies in general. It's one of those rules you just don't say that. Like, Randy explains in Scream 1. Now, immediately after this, Liv comes in, kind of drops down on the couch. She says, you know, her Uber canceled. That's just have a ride home. And then Mindy's like, okay, well, where's my brother? Because he went looking for you. And Liv's like, I don't know. I haven't seen him. You know, I was... I'm not with him. I wasn't with him at all. And Mindy's like, well, he was outside looking for you. He was with you. So where is he now? And Liv's like, I don't know, you know, whatever. Not my problem. And then goes to leave. And then she's like, wait a minute. Mindy, are you scared of me? Do you think that I'm like, you know, the murderer? Do you think I could like cut you into pieces or whatever she says? And Mindy's kind of like, well, you know, I think that now, <laughs> like, I'm kind of revising my who the killer might be list. And you're kind of moving up. Um, it's Just a weird little vibe where. I feel like they kind of lean into like that, maybe it's Liv, it would make sense, because she has, you know, kind of been gone for a little bit, you know, was her phone, or a copy of her phone, that sent Chad the invite, she was supposedly outside, he was looking for her, so, kind of makes sense that it could be her, and she really leans into that, but they kind of have their back and forth, Liv gets mad, and once again, storms off. But jumping back into the modern technology, uh, basically Sydney's checking on, you know, the tracking seeing where they are, and realizes, oh shit, they're at Stu's house. We need to call Sam, tell her to leave. We need to get there ASAP. Uh, so at this point, they're kind of like panicking, rushing, like we have to get there. She's calling Sam freaking out because they know what's happening. Then we kind of cut back to the house. We see Mindy on the couch watching Stab. You know, she's yelling at the TV <laughs> at her uncle, um, basically, you know, saying, turn around, turn around, ghost faces are right behind you. Like, what are you doing? Turn around. And as she's doing this, you know, we also see Ghostface and their world in real life walking up behind her on the couch and simultaneously starts stabbing her as Randy is getting stabbed in the movie as well, which is a pretty cool scene because it's almost like uh, you get the legacy kill, the generational kill. So that was a pretty cool dynamic that they threw in where it was almost a little bit funny just because, you know, she's kind of yelling at the TV like turn around and she's not turning around, just like, you know, what Randy was doing in the movie as well. But at the same time, you know, she was getting attacked by Ghostface. So that's going on. You know, obviously she's yelling. Sam comes running in. Ghostface runs away. She's like, oh my god, oh my god. You know, what 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 am I? What can I do? What can I do? And at that point, everyone's kind of coming into the same room together. Amber starts yelling, you know, what are you doing to her? What are you doing to her? Get away. Everyone's kind of freaking out. And then Liv comes in and she's covered in blood. And then Amber starts yelling at her and she's like, why are you covered in blood? What are you doing? Oh my god, you're the fucking killer. It's you. You're the killer. And Liv is just like, no, I found Chad. I found Chad. You know, I'm not the killer. And we get this little back and forth where everyone's kind of just like, oh shit, like things are happening. It's what's going on. Someone's the killer. Who's the killer? And they're all kind of looking at Liv as she's trying to explain like, no, I'm not the killer. I found Chad. I found Chad. I'm not the killer. And then we get the beginning of Act 3 where Liv says, and shit hits the fan. So this point in the theater, everyone's freaking out. Um... It's kind of a mix of excitement and shock, and everyone's just kind of like, what? I audibly said out loud, what the fuck is going on? Because I really just wasn't expecting it. You know, basically Liv is like, I'm not the killer. And Amber says, I know, and shoots her directly in the fucking face. So at this point, everyone's kind of freaking out, running around. Tara's trying to wrestle the gun away from Amber. Richie and Sam run towards the kitchen. Sam grabs a knife, and they both run downstairs into the basement. And then Sam is like, oh no, Tara, we have to get Tara. And Richie's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Sam, there are always two killers. And then it really clicks and you're like, oh, oh, it's him. This is him saying it finally. And Sam has the same idea. So she instantly holds a knife to his face and is just like, what? (laughs) And then we get a little bit of a twist because Richie starts saying, you know, maybe it's Tara. How well do you really know her? You guys haven't talked for years. You know, and he starts unloading all these reasons, like, why it's probably Tara. And I was like, she's the one that brought us here. You guys haven't talked for a really long time. You know, like, how well do you really know her? And she looks him in the face and says, you know, better than I know you. And then Sam starts running back upstairs, and Richie's kind of like, you know, wait, hold on. But she still runs away anyway and leaves him down in the basement. And then we cut to a scene where Cindy and Gail are pulling up in the car finally. They hear the screaming. They know what's going on. They even say something along the lines of like, oh, that sounds about right. So right as they're about to head into the house, they see Amber come out. She's holding her stomach. She's screaming. She's saying, Ghostface, stab me. He stabbed me. You had to kill me. And they're both looking at her and they're like, that seems fake. And Gail even says, I think that's a trap. And then Amber pulls out her gun and says, fuck it and shoots Gail in the stomach. Then we get Sydney firing off a couple shots back at Amber, but she manages to run back into the house without getting hurt. So Sydney turns around, sees Gail on the ground, holding her stomach, she was just shot, and she's worried, and Gail instantly says, listen, Sydney, you need to go finish this, don't worry about me, you know, I'll be fine, whatever happens, just, you need to go in there and finish this. So she faces the house, and then we kind of get the... The shot where the camera's backing up, the angle's widening, and then we kind of get the full view of Sydney back in front of Stu's house. And I think a lot of people in the theater at this point realize for the first time exactly where they were. Because they didn't really mention it as far as I know, or as far as I can remember. I don't think they actually said, like, this is Stu's old house yet. But as the camera pans out and shows Sydney standing in front, you realize, oh, okay, this is where we are. Sydney's back in the house again. The same place she was in the first movie. And now she's here to finish things. So Sydney gets inside, kind of have like a few seconds of, you know, her looking around, you know, probably having flashbacks, kind of being like, okay, well, you know, I'm here again. Kind of just trying to process that as fast as she can because people are literally getting murdered as she's walking in the door. So she's, you know, heading in, gun in hand, walks up the stairs and basically says, you know, whoever's there, whoever's hiding, killer or not, make yourself known, you know, say something, let me know that you're here. We do get a little bit of a nostalgic scene here. She does get a call from Ghostface, just the typical <laughs> the typical call, but they say, you know, this isn't Amber, I'm the other one, and she's like, oh, so there's two of you. You know, I don't remember the exact dialogue here, but it's pretty much just one of those generic Ghostface phone calls, and she straight up just says, I'm bored, and hangs up on him, and then starts her rampage of going down the hallway and just putting bullets through every fucking door she sees kicking them in. She's not playing games. She knows what happens. She knows how the kills go. She knows that any door could have ghost face behind it, jumping out, ready to kill her. And she's prepared this time. She's not taking any shit. So she ends up shooting through like three or four doors and then finally shoots into one. And here's a scream, kicks it open and it's Richie. And she's like, why didn't you say anything? I said, you know, make yourself known. And he was like, I'm not going to say anything. You're walking down the hallway shooting through every door, you know, like kind of like, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get shot. (laughs) So at the same time, this scene's happening. We also see Sam running around. She hears some noise. She walks up to a closet in one of the bedrooms and she finds Tara tied up, tape over her mouth, and she goes to undo it and then kind of pauses and is like, I don't know if this is like a trap, like has that kind of like moment of like hesitation, not really sure what to do, not really sure if, you know, maybe Richie's right. But it doesn't actually show her untying her. It just cuts back to Sydney in the holly with Richie. That whole scenario that's happening. So they're kind of talking back and forth. She's like, you know, I will not say anything. He's like, well, you're shooting at the doors. So I don't want to get shot. I don't want killed, whatever. And then sure enough, Ghostface jumps out of a closet. Kind of runs towards Sydney, And then we get, <laughs> we get a line from Richie where he just yells, Holy shit, it's Ghostface. And at this point in the movie, like I said, I mean, I already kind of suspected that he was one of them or ghostface now that we know amber is one of them okay he's probably the other one he even mentioned you know there's always two but this line for some reason almost made me doubt myself because he genuinely seemed surprised but at the same time it almost felt like a comedic line they threw in like to kind of throw you off because it was becoming pretty obvious that he was also ghostface but either way amber dresses ghostface obviously Jumps at Sydney, tackles her over the railing of the staircase. They fall down and land on the first floor, which obviously hurts. They're kind of rolling around. Richie starts kind of hobbling down the stairs and Sydney's like, grab the gun, grab the gun. And he's like, I'm trying to, but you shot me in the leg. So you keep getting these like kind of little comedic lines from Richie that almost make you kind of like, okay, it's a very serious, tense scene, but he keeps like kind of providing that comic relief. So it's like a pretty big emotional roller coaster as all of this stuff's happening. Because at this point, you're kind of like, well, who do I trust? Who else is gonna be one of the killers? Who's going to die? There's just so much happening at this scene. It's very hectic. But like we all know, it is Act 3, third part of the movie. And that's the kind of thing we always expect from a screen movie. So as Richie's coming down the stairs, we see Sam run over. She grabs Sydney's gun. And then we see Richie kind of limping over towards Sam. And you kind of perceive that as like, he almost was like, I need protection. You have the gun. You know, let me kind of hobble over to you and hide behind you. But that is not the case. As soon as Richie gets over next to Sam, gets close enough, turns out he is the other ghost face, and he stabs her directly in her side and immediately lets her know that he's really excited. He really wanted to be the one to kill her. So he's really digging the knife in, twisting it. You know, it's definitely a pretty gory scene. But it was also kind of satisfying in a way because I, like I said, I knew at a few different points, like, this has to be the other ghost face. There's just so many, like, weird indirect things that happen or that he says or, like, how he looks where it kind of leans towards it. But at the same time, it's just, like, a very weird combination of characters. Amber and Richie, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they had no connection other than they both knew somebody and those people they knew are related. Other than that, we didn't really know them to have any kind of relationship beyond that. And even going back to the hospital scene at the beginning of the movie, when Sam and Richie first got to the hospital, Richie introduces himself directly to Amber, and she's kind of just like, oh, you know, hey, whatever. Like, very dismissive of him. Almost like she didn't care. Just like, oh, hi. But now we know that these are our two killers. They are Ghostface. Now, it's also at this point where we do find out pretty much the biggest plot twist to this movie was literally just the fact that the inhaler that Tara had in Richie's car... He took and he hid and he had it in his pocket the entire time. So he pulls the inhaler out of his pocket and says, I can't believe this worked. You know, he's like, I know it's a bummer. It's me. And then he pulls out the voice changer and says something along the lines of, you know, but I was the best character like for this movie or something similar to that. Basically, like, you know, I know it's a bummer. It's me, but it's what makes sense for the movie. So they bring Sam and Sydney into the kitchen. Um, at this point, Richie calls Amber baby, which we would never really like know if there is a like a relationship between them. Now, I, I do believe it is like one or two times that he calls her baby and then he calls her like sweetie or something like that, where it kind of hints at like them having a relationship outside of what's happening right now. But all they ever really say is that they met on Reddit and the, you know, kind of stab community boards and they both had the same kind of idea, uh, which we'll get to in a minute, but he basically calls her baby and is like, you know, hey, can you go get um Tara, bring her down? So yeah, sure, you know, so she goes out to get Tara, and basically like, hey, so she's not here, and he's like, um, what do you mean she's not there? And she's like, she's not here, she's not where we put her. It's like, okay, well, I don't know, look around, try to find her, like, she's obviously not gone too far. And then Sam says, you know, I found her, I untied her, you know, maybe you're not, like, the know-it-all that you think you are. Maybe you're not, you know, as smart as you try to pretend that you are. So at this point, we basically get all of the characters kind of fighting back against Amber and Richie. We do get Tara with her crutches attacking Amber, which I thought was just kind of funny because she is like hitting her with the crutches. Amber's fighting back. We do get the scene, you know, where they grab each other. They do roll over the couch onto the floor like we've seen in previous screen movies. You know, Richie does have his arm wrapped because of the previous knife slash that he got in the hospital. So Sam's way of fighting against him is she bites down on where that wound is. He screams, kind of falls to the ground. Sam gets up and runs away. Richie gets up and he's like, you know, you know, Sam, where are you? Like, come back. I'm going to fucking kill you. And then after Amber throws Tara over the couch, she comes back towards the kitchen, you know, kind of ready to finish things. And then she's getting attacked by Gail and by Sydney. Gail grabs her from the back. Sydney grabs a glass bottle from the counter and smashes it over her head. And Amber's like, was that fucking hand sanitizer? Which is another just pretty funny nod to, like, what's going on right now. Obviously, this movie was shot during the COVID pandemic. So, the fact that they have, say, like, hand sanitizer sitting on the counter in their kitchen. is kind of just one of those, like, you know, this movie is modern. This is stuff that's happening now. This would be set in the present. That's just a funny little thing. Like, everyone in the theater that I was in, I kind of laughed. Like, oh, like, that's what we have. So, Sidney and Gail pick her up, grab her by arms and legs. You kind of body slam her down in, like, the little island counter in the kitchen. I had a very weird flashback to my childhood watching wrestling. But putting that aside, they throw her on the ground. She's cornered, and she's kind of like, Whoa, whoa, hold on. Like, this isn't my fault. I was radicalized. I was on the internet, and basically, you know, just every teenager's excuse of, Hey, listen, you know, like, this isn't my fault. Other people told me I should do it. I was influenced. I hold no responsibility. She even says, like, you know, I'm just a dumb kid. Like, I just wanted to be a part of something. I was radicalized, I'm just stupid. And Gail's like, What do you mean you killed my best friend? And then Amber instantly switches and says, Yeah, and he died like a fucking pussy too. Then they're all kind of fighting back and forth. Gail punches Amber in the face. Amber digs her hand into Gail's wound where she shot her in the stomach. Sydney grabs her from the back. Amber pushes her on the ground. They're all just kind of fighting back and forth in the kitchen for a minute. And then we cut back to Richie. He's heading up the stairs, he sees a bunch of blood on the stairs. He even says, you know, like, oh, that's the funny thing about scary movies. There's always, like, a trail of blood to follow, and then you can find whoever you need. Then we instantly come back to the kitchen. Amber jumps on Gale. She's strangling her. She's like, you know, I'm the last person Dewey saw before he died. I can't believe I get to kill you too now. I'm gonna kill both of you. Like, that's so cool. Because their whole thing is, like, they're really big fans of Stab. They met on the Stab message boards. They're huge fans of the movie series. They know that the STAB movies are based off of what's actually happening in their town. So in their head, they're like, well, we can design our own movie. We can be Ghostface. We can design the kills, what the characters do. Like, we can direct the movie in real life. And then when they make the new STAB movie, it'll just be telling the story of what we're doing right now. So Ember basically tells Gale, you know, like, this is the end for you. Almost like I'm killing you off. Like, this is is it for you. And she literally says, like, you know, time to pass the torch. And then Gail is like, it's all yours, bitch. Headbutts her, throws her back. She kicks her from the ground. So Amber goes flying back into the stove. And her hand hits one of the knobs to turn the stove on. Uh, It's a gas stove. So it ignites. There's a little bit of a flame behind her. This scene kind of almost felt like a nod to, like, Final Destination. Like one of those very improbable things that happens that eventually kill somebody. So while well, it did feel kind of like corny for the movie, my mind instantly went to, wow, this is such a Final Destination scene. Good to the directors for tossing that in as like a corny little reference. So Amber's basically just, you know, kind of standing there leaning against the stove. Sydney and Gail are both on the ground still. Sydney grabs the gun, hands it over to Gail and says, you know, like, she's all yours. Gail stands up, points the gun at Amber, and Amber goes back to her like, You know, no, please, please don't, please don't do it. And then we get the very classic, Gail points the gun, says, fuck you, shoots her a few times, and then Amber turns around, lands on the open flame, and of course, the hand sanitizer that she was covered in from when Sydney smashed the bottle over her head catches on fire, and then she's just engulfed in flames, kind of flailing around, burning alive. And it was kind of a weird scene. I felt like we didn't really need something that dramatic right there. Because it did kind of feel a little out of place because she shot her three times. That should have been enough, really, I think. But, you know, it was cool for a second (laughs) just to see her kind of flailing around on fire. Uh, So she kind of does that for a second. Then just, you know, you just assume somebody is dead at that point, right? So she drops to the ground. We cut back to the, the shot where Gail and Sydney are kind of just standing there watching her lay on the ground and burn. And, of course, Sydney has to throw in there. Enjoy that torch, bitch. Then we cut back to Richie walking up the stairs, following the blood trail. He sees it leads up to a room. The doorknob's covered in blood. So in his mind, he's like, oh, clearly she's in there. Turns out it was a trap. She actually made it look like she was going into that room. She covered the doorknob in blood and was hiding in the door next to it. So as soon as he went to open the door, she jumps out. You know, she kind of grabs his face. It looked like she kind of like was, you know, digging her fingers into his eyeballs. He throws his knife or drops it at least. Falls down to the first floor and she's on his back, just digging into his face. He starts slamming his back with her into the wall. And he's just like, you know, stop fucking up my movie. Stop fucking up my ending. They both fall to the ground. He has a gun, so he grabs the gun from his waistband. Sam starts running down the stairs and he chases after her. And is just yelling her name as he chases her down the stairs. At this point, he had a clean shot. He was within a foot of her. But I think just because they do want to design how the movie ends up, he doesn't want to shoot her right there because that's not the ending that he planned. So they're running on the stairs. They both fall, kind of roll down to the bottom. Reggie stands up. Sam's kind of, you know, laying on the ground struggling. And he says, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to make a creepy phone call? Are you going to jump out of a closet wearing ghost face mask? Because remember, like, you know, in this movie, you're the villain. Like they're framing all of this to make her the villain. Now, this is one thing that I really, I think out of the whole movie is probably the one thing that bothered me the most. So while Sam's kind of crawling around on the ground, she looks up and she sees a vision of her dad, Billy Loomis, in the mirror, and he looks down at her and then kind of like nods his head looking down, like, look over there. And she looks over and she sees the knife. Now, the reason this bothered me is because it almost takes it to the point where she's not seeing a vision, like she's seeing him in the mirror, like a reflection of him But he sees things that she doesn't see. So as long as she saw the knife and then saw him and he pointed to the knife, she looked up at him and he kind of motioned over, like, look down over there, the knife's over there. So it takes away from that, you know, he's a hallucination to, is he just like some spirit who has his own, you know, way of connecting with her where you can be like, hey, do this, hey, do that, where it's not really her just telling herself and kind of having these hallucinations or whatever they are. Like, he's his own standalone character, almost, like, pointing down, like, hey, look down there. The knife's down there. And she's like, oh, yeah, shit, you're right. It's kind of a weird thing that threw me off. But nevertheless, adds to the ending. So she reaches towards the knife. Richie keeps explaining, you know, that's not how things work. Like, you need to follow the rules. And she basically says, you know, well, I'm introducing a new rule. And he's leaning down towards her like he's about to kill her. And he's like, "Okay, yeah, well, what's that? And she looks up at him and says, never fuck with the daughter of a serial killer. And... <laughs> She stabs him in one cheek and out the other so fast. She pulls the knife out, and it was just one of those kills where it takes you a second to realize like, like, oh, that was gross!" <laughs> like that was I don't know because we had like earlier kills where it was kind of like, "Oh wow, that's really messy, that's really brutal, but like being stabbed in one cheek and out the other through the middle of your mouth, something about that just made me like almost like tense up and cringe a little bit, like, "Oh wow, that's really fucking gross." Like that <laughs> probably feels horrible. So he, of course, falls back, he's in pain, and then Sam gets up, and she starts stabbing him. And she doesn't stop stabbing him. She probably stabbed this motherfucker, like, 50 times in a row. And it gets to the point where you're like, oh, wow, she's angry, to like, oh, oh, she's enjoying this way too much. And it went on for so long that part of me was like, are we going to get a Scream 6 where Sam is the killer? Because she was having way too much fun. She was stabbing him... Repeatedly and got to the point where she mounted him and was just sitting on him stabbing him I didn't count how many times it was But I would say upwards of maybe 30 to 35 times in a row and she was relentless But eventually she does stop stabbing him and he still manages to get out the words But what about my ending and she leans down? She lifts up his head and says here it comes and slices his throat (laughs) like stabbing him a million times wasn't bad enough So she slit his throat watches him bleed out, and he dies. At this point, Sidney and Gale walk into the main area, where Sam just brutally murdered Richie, and Sidney warns her, you know, watch out, because they always come back. Sam grabs the gun from Gale, shoots him twice, and then shoots him a third time in the head, where his brains splatter along the floor, and it really makes you think, like, this movie really went for the gore. And usually in, like, some of the earlier movies, of course, like, in the first one, we start off, like, watching Casey get stabbed and disemboweled and hung up from a tree which is obviously very brutal but I feel like as the movies progressed we always got like a lot of like you know ghost are just quick in and out stabs or like stabbed a couple times or whatever but this just really felt like they took the brutality and the gore to like a whole new level but at the same time they also kind of amped up everything else they made it you know funnier and campier but in ways that balanced out how messy and how gory it was so it didn't feel like anything was too much because they always had a good way of dialing it back by adding in you know, like a little comedic scene or something that was heartfelt or something that took your attention away from how gory that scene just was. And they just balanced it out really well. But of course, as Sydney did warn, they do always come back. As soon as it's confirmed that Richie is 100% dead, definitely not coming back, Amber comes running and screaming from the kitchen knife in hand. And she is just melted and burnt. And disfigured. And as she's running towards him with the knife, she gets shot by none other than Tara as she reminds us that she still prefers the Babadook. Now, like I said, the motive behind this was pretty much to make sure that the new stab movie is up to Richie and Amber's standard. They didn't like Stab 8. As we heard in their reviews from James and Chelsea of Dead Meat, Stab 8 sucked. We were reminded by Amber and Richie as well. So their plan was basically: we need to set this up so they make a good Stab 9. Because we are huge fans of the franchise, and they're letting us down, so we're gonna have to write the new ones ourselves by becoming Ghostface and killing as many people as we can. But as we'll find out, they failed pretty bad, because the next scene we cut to is the outside of what was at one point Stu's house, now Amber's house, with all the ambulances outside. We see Minnie getting rolled out on a stretcher. She passes by her brother, who's in an ambulance already. They give each other the thumbs up. So now we know they're both alive. You know, obviously, Tara, Sam, Gail, and Sydney are all alive as well. We get a couple touching moments at the end between Sam and Tara. Sam does walk up to Gail and Sydney and it's kind of like, you know, hey, can I ask you something? Like, am I going to be okay? And Sydney says, you know, yeah, eventually. Gail also does mention that she's not going to be writing about, you know, what actually took place there. But she does plan to be a book about Dewey, which is another, like, you know, little touching moment at the end of the movie there. So Sam walks away and she sees, once again, the reflection in one of the cars of her dad. He kind of gives her a little nod, like, you know, you did it. Kind of like a good job, you know. Then Sam walks back over to the ambulance Harrison, gets inside with her, and she says, you know, I'm going to hold your hand the whole way. I'll be here with you. And then we kind of get the pan out shot of all the ambulances outside of the house. We get the news reporter in the front, kind of explaining what happened live on the air. And then the movie comes to an end. We do get one last little nod to Wes. So basically, as the movie pans out, fades to black, at the end, we do get a nice little for Wes across the screen. Which, again, is just one of those things that shows the people who made this movie really respected Wes Craven. They really respect the genre. They really respected the franchise. And I think, overall, they did a really good job of giving us that same vibe that we expect with the screen movies, but also refreshing it, kind of making it new, bringing in new characters bringing in the legacy characters, made the necessary kills they had to, to not just feel like they're going to keep recycling the same people over and over again. It really did feel, you know, like they said, like kind of a passing of the torch. And honestly, this new cast of characters, if they did continue on with the Scream movies, and these were the new characters we had to deal with, I'd be completely fine with that. I do love the franchise as a whole. I don't need the main three in every single movie to feel like I'm still watching a Scream movie. I think the way that it was written and directed... ...did a really good job of kind of keeping the vibe that we're used to with Scream movies... ...without having to be like, here's every character that you need immediately. You know, it just felt really true to the franchise. Really true to the genre. And overall, I just really enjoyed the experience of watching it. I've already seen it a few times. You know, even the press building up to it was very exciting. It was very nostalgic. You know, it felt great to have another movie coming out ten years later. Because I really was expecting Scream to just be over. But now that we have this new movie... I've seen a ton of people that I know that used to like the older ones coming back, very excited for it. But I've also seen a ton of new horror fans and, you know, a lot of teenagers that were at the theaters as well. People that looked like they were maybe 14, 15 years old going to see the movie with their friends for the first time. And they looked ecstatic. You know, it was really cool to see that the franchise itself can grow and adapt to newer audiences while still having all the same nostalgia that, you know, you kind of expect and hope for and what they dubbed in the movie as a requel. I've seen a ton of new merchandise coming out for the Scream movies. I've seen a ton of new stuff coming out from Fun World, new masks, new costumes. I've seen pre-orders for the movie in all kinds of formats. As of recording today, Scream is the number one movie in the country right now, and it just feels really cool to have a horror movie, especially a franchise that hasn't been as big the last few years, especially because the last one came out in 2011, which is at this point 10 years ago. It's just really awesome to see that it's coming back, and it's coming back so strong, and that the fans are still there to support the franchise, and hopefully watch this grow. You know, I I do really hope we get to see maybe a Scream 6, Scream 7. You know, I'd love to see where they'd be able to take it from here. So hopefully we get something like that soon, and if not, I still really enjoyed this movie. So with that being said, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap it up here. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at rotcastpodcast. And like I said in the beginning, I will be putting up a post. So if you have any questions, any comments, or anything on this episode, the post for this episode will be there. Feel free to leave a comment on that post in regards to anything to do with this episode. And until next time. I'll be right back.